with me to Psalm 120. <laughs> so this summer I'm going to meditate on some of the Psalms of Ascent. And so for those who aren't familiar with those Psalms, it's Psalm 120 through 134, and it's 15 Psalms that... Um, well, scholars believe that these were sung on the, uh, for, for people traveling up to Jerusalem. And so they are just songs of faith for, for a journey. It's, it's songs of faith for, that also become a metaphor for the Christian life because for those of us who are Christians, uh, right, we are walking this path following Jesus uh, through a world of conflict to the heavenly city, to Jerusalem. And so, we're going to start with Psalm 120. It kind of kickstarts this theme of, of traveling through this broken world up to where God dwells in Jerusalem. And um, one, Psalm 120 has been called the leaving song. What, what gets us to start to turn our hearts and minds to say, I need to, I need to leave. <laughs> this world is not my home. And so let's read it, and we will pray. This is the word of our God. It says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, O deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows and glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do long for peace, and particularly in a world and, and homes full of all kinds of conflict and trouble and suffering. And so I pray that as we meditate on this great psalm, that you would give us this gift of being dissatisfied with the world because of its trouble, uh, so that we might cry out for help and see your answer in Jesus. And so send your spirit to equip us to be a people of peace in this world, that we might imitate Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. That's not really a... Uh, a heart-melting psalm, is it? <laughs> like Psalm 23, where you're, you just feel all warm and fuzzy inside because the Lord is your shepherd, and he, he's watching over you every step of the way. No, this is, this is pretty jarring. It's, it, it, it's harsh, because it starts in distress, and it ends with war. Uh, that word distress has to do with crying out in pain. Um, you have deceit. Uh, this person's basically saying, I'm drowning in, in lies and manipulation. And then in, in the context of war in this community where this person dwells, right, I'm just exhausted from never-ending conflict. No one is actually hearing the words that I say. Uh, it's, it's the kind of portrait of a person that no, no matter how kind you are, no matter how gentle you are, uh, no matter how winsome you are, you're not changing anyone's mind. They're just angry and hostile. Right? I am for peace, but they are for war. 
right? When I started uh, my sermon prep this week, I didn't expect Roe v. Wade to be a part of the, the, the conversation, but uh, it, it's, it's appropriate. It's, it's uh, God's providential timing that, I mean, like I said, if you looked, had any conversations this week, you know it's uncomfortable. Uh, there are people who are for life and for choice, and there's anger. Uh, there's been threats of violence. And if you listen carefully to those grieving what the Supreme Court did, there's fear. And the, the point is, everybody's looking for peace. Looking for it from different places and finding it really difficult to hear one another in any kind of meaningful way. Right? And that's where I think the psalm can help us. Um, because you have someone who is, um, right, if you enter into the conversation about abortion, it doesn't take long. It's probably, what, two heartbeats before people start throwing names and, and presuming motivations. Um, and so this person in the psalm is saying, this someone in particular is leading the charge against them with lying lips, with a deceitful tongue, their slander, right? They're just not representing me well. Um, it's, that's the whole thing sounds like and can be called an agonizing birth pang. It's emotionally and physically painful, which is why they cry out to God for help. God, this is above me. I can't fix this. I need your help. And so I'm calling this ser sermon the search for peace, but unfortunately what gets anyone to look for peace is the fact that you have none, <laughs> uh, that you're in the midst of trouble. Something has to prod us to look outside of ourselves, to look for help, to look to the Lord, to, to pick up the Bible and say, what does God have to say about this thing? Uh, and so in, in the context of the Psalms of Ascents, this is the... The, the lack of peace is what gets God's people to start their journey to turn towards God and walk towards Jerusalem where God dwells in, in the Old Testament. Right? And so I think one of the things that's going to help us this morning, Psalm is going to give a portrait of the motivation that gets us started to repent and believe the gospel and to follow Jesus. And that as you face trouble as a follower of Jesus, it keeps us going. Right? God, I'm for peace, but I'm dealing with war. And this gets, keeps us going, shows us where to look when life goes not well. And so let's meditate on this. How does the misery of this psalm lead us to peace? And let's, whenever I jump into the psalms, it's always good to remind us how to read the psalms as we learn to pray and constantly are working on our prayer life, um, because the Psalms are the Christian prayer book. Um, it's, it, it's a miniature Bible, but it's also just stories, testimonies, cries for help, um, celebrations, giving God's people words to say and to sing when they come into God's presence. It's the way God's people have drawn near to him, have, have imitated Jesus. This was Jesus' prayer book. Um, gives us words to, to speak, which is really helpful. Because when you're exhausted by conflict, it's often exhausting to even think, how do I pray? What words should I say? I'm just too emotionally drained to, ha to give some kind of articulate uh, cry for help. And the Psalms give us words. Right? I mean, as a pastor, that's often what I hear is I don't pray because it's too hard. 
I don't know what to say. My mind wanders. I get bored. Um, I can relate to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is really important, but I'm asleep. Um, right? It's, it's one of those strange things that you and I can be told on Sunday that we had the full, infinite, and eternal love of God, the same love that Jesus has had for all of eternity. He says, come into my presence. God is your Father. Cry out, Abba. Talk to him. And we walk into the room and just stay silent because we don't know what to say. Just, and so, the Psalms are helpful. Right? It's not, you're not wrong to not know what to say. It's biblical. I mean, Romans 8.26, we do not know how to pray as we ought. You're in good company with every other Christian. And then the journey to learn how to pray, the Psalms are there to help us, to give us words to say, to shape our longings, to, to get a, teach us how to meditate on God's grace, to teach us how to process pain, uh, to get us to long for God in his presence more than anything else uh, in this world. And so if, if we're going to learn how to read, use the Psalms to pray, it's helpful to look again at Psalm 1 and 2, and this will naturally lead into Psalm 120. Because um, Psalm 1, right, it starts off with, Blessed is the man, the, the human, the person, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so right away, you're being taught, right, if you're going to be human, and you're going to be, uh, have your allegiance be to, to the Lord, you're going to face conflict. It's right there in the introduction, first sentence. And you can be blessed in the midst of it, should you choose to say no. But then it continues, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on God's law he meditates day and night. And so the promise is, if you meditate on the scriptures, if you meditate on all the great stories of, that have come before Psalms, if you meditate on the laws, <laughs> um, you meditate on God making provision to forgive your sin, all the benefits that come with being a Christian, of having the living God, you'll be blessed. There's joy. Um, you become a person who is not subject to uh, the tyranny of whatever culture is saying you must believe right now. You'll actually be able to say no. Right? Say no in a, to a world that demands you participate in whatever they approve of. You become a person of wisdom. And ultimately, it keeps going here. It says, a person who meditates on God's law, God's words, you become like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit. Its leaf doesn't wither. Uh, you, you have this supernatural source of strength, uh, a river that never runs dry, God's presence, the Holy Spirit which is very different from the wicked, those who do not know the living God. They're blown wherever the wind goes. They're like chaff. You can't stand the heat of judgment. You know what Psalm 1 promises you? In, the, in a world that goes not well, it promises uh, that you can have like a, a portable Garden of Eden experience. That's the idea. Think trees, think water, think abundance. That's Garden of Eden language. Um, saying if you soak yourself 
and the gospel promises and God's promises. You will be formed over time. You've got to think in, you got to age like a tree. It's not overnight. This is a long, slow, steady obedience in one direction. But you'll become an immovable, flourishing, fruit-bearing tree, uh, able to imitate God even when life goes not well. But you're going to have opponents. You're going to have the counsel of the wicked that are going to tempt you, a different way of life that's going to say, this this is better. So you're going to face pressure to act like the world. You're going to have to say no to the way of sinners. You have to be ready to be mocked, right? Don't don't sit in the seat of scoffers. People are going to laugh at you because you say you're a Christian. Um, But if you're meditating on the gospel, you'll you'll be able to to be okay, to not be destroyed by it. And so that's Psalm 1. That's the introduction. Psalm 2 continues that same thought of, okay, meditate on God's promises. It's equipping you to deal with conflict in the world, in particular the Psalms. That's what they're for. Psalm 2 says, hey, by the way, the nations are raging. They're plotting, they're scheming, they can't wait to get out from the Lord's sovereignty, the, the, the chains, the bonds, his plan, and his, his plan is his anointed, the Messiah. Right? And so in the presence of conflict, the wicked, it says God laughs. He laughs because he says, I have my king. I have my son. I have my answer to everything that is not well. Here is where you will find peace. Uh, It's in my son. Blessed are all those who take refuge in God's son. Preferably the son, (laughs) right, who actually is also meditating on God's word day and night, who is that tree of life for you, right? We know this to be Jesus. Jesus is the only one who meditated on God's law perfectly, who is God's son, to whom you run to for refuge. But where do you find God's son? According to Psalm 2, it's on Zion's hill in Jerusalem. Right? And so, if God's plan to deal with evil, with trouble, with suffering, with sinners, with scoffing, with with peer pressure, with conflict, uh, is his son Jesus... um, and you will find his son in a particular place in Jerusalem, which we'll talk about how to connect those dots. The idea is the Psalms of Ascent are saying, let's turn our hearts and minds to the place where God has promised peace. Does that make sense? Right, that, that what, what Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are saying, look to Jerusalem where God dwells. Here's where you go when the world goes not well. God will meet you with you there. And what the gospel then takes that and meets us here, but we'll, we'll talk about how that works, right? And so this is how you, how you read the Psalms. You're, you're learning in prayer to take what God has said, to take your suffering and connect the dots to God saying, I am in charge of everything that will ever happen to you. And my plan and my answer to everything that happens to you is my son, the king of Israel, if you're an ancient Hebrew, but the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus. All right, so now, with that in our, in our minds, all right, that's what the Psalms are calling us to do, is to cry out for help. 
And so in Psalm 120, when he says, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me, he's doing exactly what Psalm 1 and 2 are telling him to do. He's drinking deeply from the, the waters of God's promise to talk to Yahweh, whose name essentially means I'll be with you. He's turning from his trouble and he's turning to face the living God who's able to laugh <laughs> at the schemes of the wicked. And all he does is say, Lord, help me, this hurts. Right? Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. All right? And so here's some basic counsel on praying. It's simple, but it's basically this. If you have distress, the Psalms tell us you can talk to the living God about it. You can be brutally honest and tell him your pain. That's what distress is. It hurts. Right? You can turn outside of yourself and say, I do not have resources to deal with this mess. These people are destroying me. <laughs> They're crushing me. I can't handle their expectations. Lord, I'm in distress. Deliver me with the truth. Because right? as you're honest, right, the promise is he'll hear you and answer you. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Right. And so, with that in mind, right, prayer is simply crying out for help to the Lord who's promised to see and hear and respond. The second point is we've, we're learning to pray, right? Prayer is who are you facing? Who are you talking to? Where are you turning for, where are you turning for help? Uh, what gets us to turn for help is pain's prod. Right. And so if you, you want to get oriented with Psalm 120 and how to read it, verse 1 lays out the personal power, power of prayer. Right? I called to the Lord and he, he, I asked for help and he answered me. Right. God did this thing for me. Verse 2 tells us what was his prayer. Right? Deliver me, O Lord, from the de deceitful tongue. Right? It appears to be one person in general who is making this person's life miserable through lying, through deceit. And then when you get verses 3 and 4, right, verse 2 is here's the, the ask for help. Verse 3 and 4 is God's answer to help, uh, answer to the prayer. He says, what, are, what, are what does a deceitful tongue get? A deceitful tongue gets God's justice. And then verses 5 to 7 are a lament a groaning, if you will, longing for peace, of just saying out loud, I long for peace, but I'm surrounded by war. I live among quarreling neighbors. Right? But if you look at what, what gets this person to pray? It's a prod of pain. Right? You know what a prod is, right? Cattle prod, right? You get, you're getting poked. You, farmers use this all the time. I mean, my... my Five foot three grandfather was a dairy farmer his whole life, so I, I saw him use a prod. Sometimes it was just a full on two by four, right? Like they're 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 hurting someone, so he's get them to go the different direction, right? And so the prod of pain is what so often this is this is where the Christian life starts. This is why we turn to God for help in the first place, right? In this context, that someone is relentlessly spreading lies. 
But then you read verses 5 to 7, and it turns out it's not just one person. They're just representative of the world in which we live. He says, Woe is me that I live, sojourn in Meshech, and I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Kedar. Those don't, names don't mean anything to us. They are ancient, ancient places that are not geographically close. Right? So Meshech is way over in southeast of the Black Sea, way northeast of Israel, I think Turkey, or even, maybe even parts of Russia. Kedar is way in the southwest on Israel's other border, closer to Egypt, and these were, these were a group of nomadic warriors who apparently had a violent reputation. And so if you, you know what, this is a, just an ancient expression, it's an ancient idiom. We're basically saying, I live among, among a bunch of angry, violent barbarians. Right? If you go to work and, and you're, you're complaining to someone and say, I live, my household is full of barbarians. Right? The person he hearing you doesn't believe that it's the actual Visigoths from the 4th century who have invaded your household. It's an expression. But it's the same thing here with, with Meshech and Kedar. He's just saying, oh, I, I am stuck living in a bad neighborhood among neighbors who are constantly fighting and bickering. They don't get along. I am for peace, and when I try and be a peacemaker, they're for war. They push back. Nothing I do changes their mind. They really do feel like a stranger in a strange land. Right. This person, the psalmist, is bearing the pain of being God's representative, being a peacemaker. Do you hear that? I, I, I am called to be God's representative. I'm called to... Represent him to the world, to the nations, to be a blessing to the nations, right? That's the context of the scriptures. But I have to do so among people who don't want to hear what I have to say. And you have to be a peacemaker because the Lord also forbids vengeance, right? So if someone lies and makes stuff up about you, we don't have that option, according to God's law, to retaliate, right? Deuteronomy 32, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Which means you have two options if you're in a culture like this. You can either just cave in and just throw out your, your allegiance to the Lord and, and do whatever they want to do, which the Bible also forbids. <laughs> uh, or you just walk the path of peace, crying out for help in your distress, and you got to bear the pain that, that comes with being a peacemaker. Right? Verse 4, when it talks about sharp arrows, I mean, that's, that's what this person is experiencing, is the painful arrows uh, that, that words are causing. That's a metaphor in the scriptures, that words are like, bitter words are like arrows that pierce the flesh. Right? And so if you can't, take vengeance, and you can't change who you belong to, Jesus, your only option is to walk the path of peacemaking. And in a world that is always quarreling, how's that for motivation to pray? To pray? God help me. But it's pain that gets us to cry out for help. Right? 
It's the prod to pray. Isn't that, is it true for you? Right? Eugene Peterson, the, the pastor, wrote this great book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, and just meditating on these things. And he, he makes this really helpful point that no one makes the move towards God to ask for help unless you have a deep, profound dissatisfaction with the world as it is. Right? He says a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to, to follow Jesus. Because as long as you think that all you need to do is get the right person in power, uh, that that will solve all our problems and establish justice, or if all you think is we just need the right scientific breakthrough to fix what is wrong with the world, or if you think that all I need is just a little bit more money and then I'll be okay, you'll never take the risk to wholeheartedly pursue Jesus and his path of peace. Right. See, we've got to get dissatisfied with the world to say, God, help me. And the lack of peace could be in our house because we're all sinners. Um, could be slander at work. Could just be disgust with the cultural waters in which we live where lies are just thrown out constantly with no apology just to get a reaction. Right? We call it politics. <laughs> No, the pain is what gets us to start this journey with Jesus and to continue on it, to look for God who does not lie for help. Pain is God's megaphone prodding us to pray. Right? So that's, that's the obvious question. Is it prodding you to pray? Right. Do you remember um, Pilgrim's Progress in light of this... Um, in light of the sermon series, I start, started reading it because I haven't read it, read it other than the kids' version. Um, you remember what got Christian to start his journey to go towards the heavenly city, the celestial city? He was in distress. Right? It was his burden. He was surrounded. He lived in the city of destruction. Things were going not well. This is using biblical imagery. And so he left all these good things to go search for peace, to make this journey towards the celestial city. Right. See, Psalm 120, this is what I like about it. Yeah, it's not, it's not heart melting, but it's jarring. It's trying to say, look around you. Do you find peace? What about all those things you're trying right now to find peace? How is that working out for you? Are you crying out in your distress to the living God who promises to hear? Are you going to let your pain prod you into repentance? Right? You know what I mean by that? That repentance at its core is, I'm looking over here for peace. This isn't working. This hurts. And so I'm going to turn and now face the living God. Repent just literally means turn, change your mind, and ask for help. Right? It's I was going in this direction, now I'm turning towards God. I like, again, Eugene Peterson says things better than I can, so I'm going to quote him here. He says, look, repentance, it's not an emotion. It's a decision. It's deciding that you have been wrong in supposing you could manage your own life and be your own God. It's deciding that you were wrong in thinking that you had or could get everything you needed to make it on your own. It's deciding that the world has told you a pack of lies about yourself. 
And it's deciding that God in Christ Jesus is telling the truth. And so essentially, repentance is a decision to follow Jesus and become his pilgrim and follow Jesus' path to peace. Right? It's, it's a turning. Will you let the pain prod you into repentance, into praying, into crying out for help? Right? I love, in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian leaves the city of destruction, and the first thing that happens is he has these two friends that come and, and hunt him down, obstinate and pliable. Right? These are very subtle names. <laughs> and, and so what Christian does is that they're saying, why are you going? He's all miserable. I'm looking for peace. And Christian says, you should join me. And of course, obstinate says no uh, and, and mocks him. And he goes back and just starts talking trash about Christian back home. But Pliable says, yeah, I'll listen to you. I'll go with you for a little while on this journey. And they start having this great conversation about um, why are you going? What are you looking for, Christian? Right? Tell me more about the heavenly city where we, get, where we were, are headed. Because all I know is in... And Christian's answer is, all I know and everything I know is in this book. He's referring to the Bible. Right? He says, I don't ever understand everything, but the answers are here. And so Pliable responds, well, are you confident that this book's answers are true? And Christian says, absolutely, because this book was written by him who cannot lie. And Pliable says, that's good enough for me. Tell me more about these things in your book. And Christian eagerly began, the book tells us of a world with no boundaries and a life that never ends. Pliable says, amazing, what else does it say? Well, it says we will receive a crown of glory and robes that will make us shine like the sun. That's incredible. Does it say anything else? Yes, that we will never grieve again and that the king of the place will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But who will we meet there? What will they be like? He said there was fear and trepidation. Christian said, We'll be met by angels and tens of thousands of all the saints in robes so bright that our eyes will dazzle just to look at them. There will be those that have gone before us in the world and have stood for the faith and suffered greatly, including being burned at the stake, thrown to wild beasts, and drowned in the seas, all because of their love for the Lord. They will not harm us. They will greet us with love because of who they walk with God. Pliable goes, oh, that's very interesting, but what does it cost? (laughs) The Lord of that land, says Christian, has promised if we are truly willing to receive our inheritance, he will give it to us freely. And Pliable let out a sigh of relief. That is very good news, Christian. Let's go. (laughs) Let's pick up our pace and get there. This world is not satisfying. Let's go. See, the pain gets us to start that journey. What is God's answer? It's much more brief here. Look at verses 3 and 4. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, O deceitful tongue? You're going to get a warrior's sharp arrows with the glowing coals of the broom tree. So arrows, just often in the Bible, describe painful words. That if you've ever been truly insulted, uh, it's, it's a metaphor that you have, it's like been physically pierced by a violent weapon. 
And then glowing coals of this particular broom tree that's really good at making charcoal, right? It's an image of judgment. Uh, God's judgment in particular. And so what the psalmist seems to be doing is, yeah, I have this horrific suffering. What is God's answer to the conflict of the world? He has promised to judge all those who, who lie. Right? Truth will, will win in the end. Right? So Psalm 140, for example. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall down on them. God, let them be cast into the fire. Right? It's, it's the psalmist saying, Lord, judge them. They are hurting people indiscriminately and without consequence. I am trusting that you will deal with this. They are your problem. That's what Psalm 2 says. They're my problem. I got this. And so, this peacemaker is suffering, and what is his answer to prayer? It's God's justice that, they, that these liars will, get, will reap what they sow. Right? What will be done to you, deceitful tongue? The arrows you are using right now, they're going to boomerang back around and get you. Well, the, the glowing coals you're heaping on me right now, <laughs> it will be yours. The Lord will do this. Right? And so, he's turning around and starting to speak truth to his heart and say, the Lord will answer me. The Lord has promised justice. But at the same time, it doesn't take away the pain, does it? That's verses 5 to 7. He's still able to say, woe is me. I live among a people who don't want me here. He's able to be honest about the pain and the hardship. But before that is the assurance that those who are for war, they will get war with the divine warrior. They have to deal with the Lord who's promised to defend his loved ones. All right? What, sets, what that does is set you free. If God has promised to deal with them, you can live among quarreling people as a peacemaker because it's no longer your job to fix them. Right? Because the Lord's answer, they're going to get arrows and coals. Therefore, I can be a peacemaker even as I lament the pain that it causes. So how do you do that? And that that's going to lead us here to the end. Right, if pain is getting us to turn, to repent, and to face the living God, to cry out for help, to want something other than war, to look for peace, how in the world do you become a peacemaker in a world full of conflict when you are being shot with arrows and when you are facing burning coals? Right? How do you be for peace? You know what Paul says in Romans 12? He takes two Old Testament passages and says, here's how you ought to be a peacemaker in this world. He says, uh, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Right? So it means you're not just exploding and just reacting. You're, you're giving thought to what would be the right thing to do even among your enemies, to where they would respect you. This is, this is a high call. I think Paul goes on, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, 
but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 32. To the contrary, and this is Proverbs 25, 22, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here's, here's the, the switch that the gospel does for us. Right? You, you trust that God will administer burning coals, whatever that, that metaphor of judgment, uh, for those who deserve it. But what that does is because God has promised to, to do that for those who deserve it, gives you the freedom to heap burning coals right now, uh, burning coals of kindness towards those who are for war. Don't repay evil for evil. Right? Overcome evil with good. And you, the only way you're going to do that is to, to cry out to the Lord, to, have, to pray Psalm 120. In my distress, trust that the Lord will hear me and answer me. Right? You know how Jesus transforms us? I mean, that's an impossible call by yourself. <laughs> to just stand there and be shot at. To be silent the way a lamb is silent before it shears. And to let someone else harm you. Right? Now, you, know what, you know how Jesus transforms us all? He, he, by choice, fully experienced the deceit and slander, the war of Kedar and Meshech. He left heaven, the, the, the city of peace, if you will, to come down to earth. And what's fascinating is he takes that journey, that, song, that, that journey of ascent to Jerusalem. In fact, he walks towards it, and Luke is, is very clear that when Jesus went to Jerusalem, he didn't just like, oh, I think I'm going to go. No, he set his face. He set his face like steel. I am going to die for a bunch of liars. And he goes towards Jerusalem, which is supposed to be the city of peace, and in response is killed by lying lips. Right? The chief priests and the whole council, when Jesus was put on trial, were seeking false testimony because they wanted to kill him. Jesus spoke peace. From humans, he found war. All because he determined to die for us, a deceitful people. Right? In love, for us, he decided to overcome our evil with his good. And now he says, on this side of the cross in resurrection, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, if to the extent and to the depth we process that, what Jesus did for me, uh, that instead of heaping coals of fire and judgment on me, he heaps coals of kindness and blessing, that sends me out into the world to say, I can do that for someone else, even if it means I have to take up my cross another violent instrument, and follow him. Right? And in the midst of that, you have Psalm 120, where you, in my distress, I get to cry out for help to the Lord.
We already know he has heard our cry and answered it in Jesus. But we're sent back out into the world as peacemakers. That's what Psalm 120 is forming us to do as we head towards the city of peace, to be peacemakers along the way. All right? To close, I'll let the words of Isaiah 2 just ring in your ears. You can meditate on them where it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains. This is talking about Jerusalem being the highest place where everyone's going to come up to. It says, It shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come. And they're going to say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob so that he might teach us his ways. As we become peacemakers and pour out kindness on others, the effect is that they say, oh, if you would be that kind to me, what kind of God do you worship that would give you the resources to forgive me? That right? says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths, because out of Zion, Jerusalem shall go forth the law. And he shall judge between the nations, shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. To which we say, come Lord Jesus, and make it so. Let's pray. Father, we, as we meditated on this text, I pray you would overwhelm us with your love, uh, this gift of peace you've given us in Jesus, and that by your spirit we would trust you to be at work uh, through our words, that when we speak peace, even if we get hostility, that we would have the strength to overcome evil with good. That is a high calling that is not possible unless you give us uh, the spiritual resources to do so. So we ask for Hope Church to be immeasurably blessed by the presence of your spirit, um, applying Jesus' finished work to our hearts and minds. So may we be sent out from this place as a peacemaking community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.